Welcome to Behind the Stats with Matt Cross, a podcast taking a deeper dive into the sports stars from around the world so you can get to know the person behind the stats. Behind the Stats is sponsored by Buzz Physique. Use code MATT10 to apply 10% off your orders. And now, here's your host, Matt Cross. Okay, so welcome to episode six of Behind the Stats with Matt Cross. Um, just start quickly by saying a, a big thank you to Buzz Physique for still being on board with with the podcast and and getting involved with us and and everything there. Use code Matt ten on www.buzzphysique.co.uk. Uh, get yourself a little discount, especially heading into into Christmas. Um, they make great little uh, stocking fillers for for your gym going friends. Um, so today on episode six, we have um, one of British women's best exports. Um, someone who is uh, not only a fantastic swimmer in his own right, but has gone on to be probably regarded as one of the the best swim coaches in the world as we speak um and also someone who i consider very luckily quite a good friend um and that is mr james gibson james welcome no thanks for having me thanks buzz physique as well if i'm ever down in plymouth i'll use my discount there you <laughs> go mate there you go so so james um obviously you know the podcast is called behind the stats so i'm going to take you back a little bit um, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about your you know your heyday in swimming um before we before we delve into your coaching a little bit more um so correct me if i'm getting any of this wrong um but first international medal for great britain was a was a silver at the european championships is that is that right it's going back. I am. I've got to think. Going back 20, 22, 23 years. I've got. Uh, yeah. I think. I think it was a silver. I think it was a silver. A European short course in Antwerp, where I was rooming with the illustrious Mark Foster at that point. And <laughs> um, so we're going all the way back to two thousand and one. I believe that was. If, yeah, if, if I'm right. Two thousand. Um, so a silver at the Europeans, um, and then. You know, the next two years became sort of the, the 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 sort of breakout couple of years for you, where we go Manchester Commonwealth Games in two thousand and two, um, a gold medal and a bronze medal at that one, um, and then the, I suppose probably the biggest title you won. I don't know if you'd agree or disagree. Depends on how you see see the two competitions. But the 2003 Barcelona Worlds was your, your your gold medal on a world stage. So, how um, talk to talk to us about those, mate? What do you remember from those sort of couple of years and winning all those medals? Honestly, you remember just the the, the photos and the videos. I had an interesting conversation with Florent Manadou last week because he messaged me out of the blue. He'd found uh, some archive footage from London 2012, and I said to him, "What do you remember?" And he was like. Not a lot. I say it's just the videos, right? It's what you see on what the photographers recorded. And so I'm very grateful for uh, the BBC for, for videoing a lot of the footage. And I still have some very grainy images that I've digitized. But they're your only real memories. And um, one thing I do remember the most about my 
athletic career was just always too carried away in the, in what's next. Just just too amb- a little bit too ambitious, so rather than really appreciating uh, sort of my success along my journey, because you know I was I was the first, I think I was the first I was the first world champion that we had in Britain for twenty eight years, and uh, I was lucky enough to get an MBE for that. Well, now I know there's a lot British was a lot more successful, but at the time it was quite a big deal. But you're always just involved in that next thing, and that's one thing I've taken into my coaching is to really celebrate hard any victory and share all those moments with your friends and families and and don't get too much into the next step because the next step will happen automatically um but i wish i went back and i could obviously relive some of those moments just so i could appreciate them more and take them in more um and that's kind of uh my, my thing and i do appreciate the older i get uh the, the, whatever i achieved in swimming Thank God I'm not swimming now. Uh, we're getting nowhere. <laughs> Some of these boys, uh, uh, they're a different breed, you know, um, Mr. P.T. Uh, et al. Um, but uh, no, I, 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 was, I, had a, I had a fantastic athletic career. I had some terrible times. Like every athlete, I had some amazing times like most athletes. I followed a peak and trough curve like 99.9% of people. Uh, I was never a serial winner, but my lessons and what I've learned from that, I've definitely taken into sort of my next step and what I've been doing for the last 13 years, 14 years of my life. Definitely. Uh, and just one thing I wanted to to sort of touch on with you briefly, James, just if we can, we can jump back to your, your, your swimming before we go into the coaching, which has obviously been a big part now. And um, when you decided, obviously you, you were born, and raised in in Essex, yeah. Um, and then you decided to go to 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 Loughborough to obviously further your your education, but also further your your, your swimming career. Why did you choose Loughborough over probably so many other places you could have chosen? And you know, the big one is over obviously like the USA and things like that, where I'm I'm sure you would have had offers coming in from. Uh, it's an interesting one, Matt. Actually, I was uh, nothing. I quit oh, okay. swimming at eighteen. I was done. Um, so I chose Loughborough purely on education. Like uh, I came from a small club in Essex. Uh, I was a half decent swimmer. I think my my coach there at the time I used to drive him nuts because I was uh, never sort of committed as much as I probably should have done. And he, I frustrated the life out of him because he understood I had some talent, but uh, just wasn't really where I came from, Matt. You know, I wasn't, yeah. uh, you know, I, it, our team didn't really have any internationals. We weren't like a Plymouth Leander or Leeds or City of Leeds at the time. Um, but what, what, you know, but that, I was fresh, you know, so I could go, I had a bit more longevity in my career. I, I never trained like a professional athlete, um, these 10 sessions a week, blah, blah yardage etc until I was in my uh, sort of late teens early 20s so physically I was still quite was ready for the change but well I chose Loughborough so I'm getting off off piece that's okay education first and foremost I've given up swimming and the 1998 Commonwealth trials I finished 52nd in the 50 breaststroke I was never on a junior team I was never an elite talent I was never identified talent I wasn't uh European juniors, whatever, or that EF. Why there's so many junior stuff now, it's ridiculous. But I don't, um, 
I was never part of any of that process. And I went to Loughborough uh, to study. Um, I even remember going there thinking, I, this is an awful place. I don't want to be here because <laughs> I had a very good social life at home. <laughs> I even had a part-time job in London in the finance city centre. So I had a good social life. And, and then being in Loughborough, I thought I need to find, to stay here, I need to do something. Um, so I went to the swimming team <laughs> in our <laughs> Of course, everyone had joined the swimming team. This was like six weeks into the term. And uh, Ian Armiger, the great Ian Armiger, told me to jog on. <laughs> he said, on your bike, really? sir. Uh, looked at my results and it was like then, and it was like, who the hell is this kid that, you know, thinks he could just walk in six weeks? He doesn't even, he's like, finished 52nd at nationals. <laughs> and I, was, I really? remember saying to him, I just want to give it a go, like train socially, make some friends, blah, blah. So then I started with the, the fourth squad, a lady called Di Bass, uh, fourth squad I was there. Um, and was it? it was just more training socially. Uh, then I kind of got a little, uh, you know, I met this I met a guy called Ben Titley and I met a lot of the friend, my friends. And this guy called Ben Titley was a young lad. He was coaching the second group at the time. And I thought, he's quite a cool guy. He's, he, you know, it's quite charismatic. I wouldn't mind swimming with him. And I, I remember going with my backpack because I'd become friendly with some of the swimmers at five in the morning. I went to the pool with my backpack and uh, and he was kind of like, you know, who are you? I went, oh, I, I want to come and train with you. And he was like, he can't come and train with me. <laughs> I went, oh, I want to come and train with you. I want you to be my coach. And, uh, and he was like, no, it doesn't work like this. Off you go at five in the morning. And then, Next foot morning training, I turn up again <laughs> with my backpack and, uh, and he told me to jog on again. So, and I kept this process going and eventually he let me in to train. And, uh, you know, I wasn't, I shouldn't really have been in there, but I think he admired my perseverance a little bit. Um, yeah. So I, he let me in and then the rest is history, really. I, I went to my first meet, I broke a university record and then out of nowhere like everyone was like random kid done well and and then four years later i was commonwealth champion uh i was a world finalist in 2001 international medals and it just sort of went from there came from a yeah. four lane 25 yard pool uh but i backed myself you know uh, uh i yeah. wanted to give it a go i bullied ben into coaching me <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's a true story, if you ask him, uh, yeah. and Ian Armiger. And they they still talk about me, I know, now with the recruits, I think, when they come in, they're like, yeah, anything is possible. Um, yeah. But uh, I don't, I'm not sure someone in the fourth squad would have the same <laughs> same luck today as when I was. Yeah, no, definitely. It's uh, it's definitely a, a different beast now to, to, to obviously when you were swimming. But it links us quite nicely because obviously you swam at Loughborough and then you went on to obviously coach at Loughborough, which is obviously where you've you you've sort of spent the last, like you said, twelve, thirteen years of your life as a as a swimming coach now. So how how did that transition happen, James? How did you, you move from this elite swimmer to to then being on on deck rather than in the pool? So when I was elite athlete, I, I left Loughborough in 06, right? Every coach and swimmer, and I, I get this now, uh, you know, there, there comes a point where you need to move an athlete along. You know, you know, you're stagnating, they need something fresh. Also, the coach needs something fresh as well. And, and uh, I got to a point in 06, I needed a, a, a big change. And 
Um, I moved to France and moved to Marseille in the south of France. And I, and I really was invigorating my last few years I, and my swimming career. I mean, at 29 years old, I love swimming more than ever. And I appreciated my last ever medal. My last medal was 08 uh, European Championships. It was 08. I got a bronze, I think, and in Rijeka. And uh, that was, I loved, I just loved it. And I think, you know, this is when I was 28. I'm just loving my experience. I'm loving everything. I did 09 was my last meet in those plastic suits and say what you like, say what you want about them. But what a great period it was to be part of this. It's controversial, right? It's, I, I, everyone's criticizing everything, but you're part of it. So there's a bit of life involved in the sport. And then I was injured. I was living in Marseille. I got my, to be honest, my last goal was to, I wanted to finish my career in London, do London 2012 as an athlete. And, I, you know, in hindsight, looking back, I probably wouldn't, wouldn't have qualified because the young kids coming up were, you know, I was hanging on for dear life and they they wouldn't, I would have probably gone for four years and, and then not qualified and finished my career at Olympic trials, which would have been terrible. Um, but I got injured. I had a serious back injury, I had a disc hernia. I needed emergency surgery on it. And um, that was it. But I was also very lucky at that point in my life that, you know, I had no choice but to retire. It was done. Like it's not, I see the athletes today. We have Molly Renshaw, retired yesterday you know we can all sit here and say yeah she's got more in her she's got and maybe she's just her batteries run out she and she can't do it but it's a it's a it's a trauma now for most of the athletes to decide when to finish and it and you can see how it's emotionally very difficult for them because we get funding we have sponsors but i'm out of love with it and and it's it's that difficult but what am i going to do next it's scary for them i had no choice it's like bang (laughs) <laughs> there's, yeah. no, there's no there's no months and months of thinking about it worrying about it it's over yeah say thank you say goodbye and find and find something else but uh during that process i got quite i was quite down you know i think when you have a serious back injury you don't do anything and i and i just got sucked into that depression cycle uh, and you speak to the all the experts it's like you start going to bed at two three four in the morning waking up at midday not doing a lot, you've still got money because you've got sponsors, which is actually part of the problem. And you end up just becoming a burden on everyone around you. And Roman Barnier at the time, who was coach at Marseille, he he, he noticed I was in a bit, a, bit, a bit of trouble, I guess. And yeah. he was like, come, come work with me, just do something. Just come and work with me and help me, uh, but just do something. Just don't do nothing. So I started with, in 2010. I was working with him and the boys. Um, worked for about six months going into Europeans. And uh, Camille Lacour, Fabien Gillot, Fred Bousquet uh, was fantastic. And they swam the house down. They, uh, Camille, Camille was incredible. And then there was in 2011, um, I, started, I got started to get my own group together there. There was an opening. I kind of just fell into that position. I was very lucky. Yeah. Then at that point, Marseille was made a French Swimming High Performance Centre. So through circumstance, I know in the world you make your own luck and your decisions you made. I was suddenly in a high performance centre as a coach. Um, Honestly, more luck than anything else. It's not like uh, I applied for a role and got it. You know, had I I not 
had been in that role, I would never have got a performance centre job because my my CV <laughs> of six months or whatever is not. Yeah, yeah. You, you would never get that role. So I stayed there. I was coaching for two years. I had a young group. Uh, one of my first athletes was Inga Decker. Inga Decker uh, from the Netherlands, and uh, she won the worlds in 2011. So she, Therese Alsama, uh, she qualified and was like eight tenths faster than everyone else in the final. Uh, Inga went in as women's 50 fly. She went in fourth or fifth fastest. And no pressure in the world. 50 fly is a scrappy event. And she just took off. And Therese started just spinning. She swam, eight, she swam seven, eight, ten slower in the final. And Inga won. So she was a world champion. She was a double world champion from that meet. And then I got through that. I was working with a young lad called Florent. And then uh, we really created some a great 2012 with him. But then some of the other side wasn't so good. But we there's always the athletes you do well with. And, and there's others that you don't at the same time. But the coach always remembers the tough, uh, the results you should have got as well. Yeah. No, definitely. And, and would you say... I, 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 you said you had a part-time job in London in the finance. Would you say sort of the swimming coaching wasn't really what you wanted to do, but it was what you needed to do at that time because of what you were going through? Or had you sort of flipped your mindset to actually this is what I want to do as well? No, I absolutely never wanted to be a swimming coach, ever. No. Never, ever, ever did it entertain my mind. So in eight, when I was 18, yeah, I was working in the city. Uh, that was when I was deciding, do I go to university or not? And then after my athletic career, the, the was always go back to London, get back to what's familiar and work in finance. But it was that burning desire uh, to finish off in London 2012. And when I, when I was injured, I was like, right, and I was working with Roman uh, Barnier, it was like right. My opportunity. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go to London. I was already done. Like I'm not going to London as an athlete. But let me help the uh, these these this breed. My friends. They were my friends. They were my teammates. Let me help them go to London. And you know that's the end of my journey. Um, yeah. And then I just fell into the coaching, and I love being around the people. And then you, we were look honestly. We it, I didn't fall into a normal situation. We were on a big upward curve as a program, yeah. thanks to Roman and the team you put around. You know, we're on a big upward curve. I jumped on it. I was yeah. part of it for training there for four years, but I was I was part of the, the process, but I was getting in there. So it's, you know, it's infectious, right? And yeah. you're part of that process and it's winning, 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 winning. And, and it's very easy to stay involved. And then I was getting more and more involved in Florent one in London and I think up in 2012 I had one of the best swimming groups in the world after the London Olympics and then it was at that point you know for life reasons I was married had a young lad and the the time wasn't right as a family to be in France uh unfortunately for me it was a good job opening at the London Aquatic Centre to be the in uh, our British swimming sprint coach little did I know that after I'd sign my contract that all funding would be stopped for that so i ended up back in loughborough which is not not too much of a problem <laughs> i wouldn't no. prefer london <laughs> no definitely so so james we'll, t- we'll talk now about obviously your time with british swimming um you know going back there and, and and working as a coach 
with with the athletes you sort of worked with, you know, you, 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 most of them obviously are now retired. The majority yeah. of your first group, you know, your your Tank Liam Tancock, your Fran Halso. Um, how how was that being back in the the fold of British swimming as a coach as opposed to an athlete? To start with, it was awful. Um, <laughs> I've gone from being with. Uh, French that just, you know, my group in France, Olympic champion, uh, a lot of people, you know, the French relay team won gold medals. Um, Yannick Agnel, Camille Mouffard, the, the French were the buzz team of the London Olympics. And it was ambient, the ambiance and everything was, everything's great. You know, a bit like British swimming now, to be honest. Yeah. And then suddenly you go back into a, you go into a system where, uh, so the NPD that employed me had just left. Uh, the program I'm supposed to be coaching in has has, has failed, has not failed, as no longer exists. So, and then there was a big restructure because the funding change of all the staff. So the environment in itself is toxic yeah. because any restructure that happens in any business and that it's of course it's it's not pleasant experience for anyone. So I've gone from this fantastic crest of a wave to rock bottom and also the athletes weren't in the let's call it the best frame of mind um you know there's a lot especially the group that i started working with there was a lot of fourth places in london which is it's not it's not it's not the best situation for them to be in either that the coach they've they were used to has moved on so everyone was feeling was just a bit of chaos and everyone was a bit lost so um was was not a great time you know it was not a great time to be part of it but then you know i can really appreciate the work the guys have done to get Bridgman from where it was to where it is now it's it's we we are worlds apart we are worlds apart um but that you have to start the process it's your job yeah. you know you've got to pick people up and you've got to reinvigor people you start a new life um the guys that you know people like liam i was uh, friends with and i'm still friends with him today and but then you you just got to have these honest conversations with them. Like now our relationship needs to be a bit different. We need to work together and come up with a program. And, um, you know, I was very proud of the work I did with Liam. Uh, you know, the fact that you almost did a best time in Kazan in 2015 in the 100 back and had one of the fastest ever second 50s uh, in the 100 backstroke was just bizarre. <laughs> but we, yeah. we tried new things. We explored Albrecht. We did Albrecht testing with him and he pushed me to a different level of coaching that I haven't been at. And no. thanks to him, I, I, it helped really me on my journey more with energy standard after British swimming. Man, I'm just going to get a bit more light on the go in here. No problem. There we go. <laughs> so Liam, Liam opened my eyes to a whole different way. The Albrecht system was, uh, blew my mind, realised that, you know, I've got, of course, I was a young coach. You think, you know, you've got success. So you think, oh, everyone does it this way. They're going to win. That's bullshit. You know, there's a million different ways to do it. And uh, it helped me really show, like, you know, we're going to try something so radical. And, yeah. it, it, and it worked. And we're like, oh, my. I was like, you know, yeah, I don't really know too much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's normal. When you do all your reading, it's, uh, you know, it's a normal thing. You, the start yeah. of any thing you coach one good person you think you know everything and then you start to realize now you you know a little bit about a little bit yeah. and you know every every swimmer in the final of the olympics you know eight different swimmers 
uh, eight different pair, eight different sets of parents, unless you're the Campbells. Um, I hit lots of different, eight different coaches, different nationality, different diet, different food, different co- you know, different training plans. Everyone swims at the same time, so uh, <laughs> so we know a little bit about a little bit. Yeah, no, definitely, and and I suppose so. so you, obviously, you, you mentioned it there with with Energy Standard after um, your work with British Women sort of came to an end was that was that 2016 am I right in saying that was 2016, yeah. 2016. you then had if, if I'm not wrong you then had a, a little bit of a gap before you went to energy standard had a little bit of a break is that right not really no no not really no. so threw myself into uh I've always been as a you know when I think once you've left your country like yourself you've lived in you've lived in Dubai recently yeah you, you understand that the world is is not so big and scary it's easy to jump on into new projects and when I lived in Marseille uh you know it's, it's not normal for an English person to live in the south of France especially Marseille it's, it's, it's a very cosmopolitan city let's use that word yeah. um so when this opportunity came up with energy standard to work with Russians and Ukrainians in uh, exclusively, it was to start with um, just after all the controversy with the Russian doping scandal in 2016. Yeah. Um, it was kind of like, it was a such a radical challenge and to live in Turkey, which was going through the aftermath of a military coup Um yeah. It was such a radical challenge that it it wasn't a scary challenge for me, but it was something that I thought, as this guy who wants to set up this international swimming league thing, uh, he's, I think he's a little bit ambitious, but it sounds pretty cool. And, and you know, one thing, uh, I'll be brutally honest with you, I think once you've been through uh, restructures and, you know, uh, you go through redundancy, peer, redundancy notices, because when you go through a restructure, everyone in the organisation gets a redundancy notice. And it's and you kind of start to change. And you, as a coach, yes, you you're doing it because you love it and there's passion about it. But then, the harsh reality is you're a number on an Excel sheet for someone. Yeah, you know, and you actually start. Then you see the value of your worth. And and I, I speak to other colleagues that were involved in a certain organisation for maybe over ten years, and they see what they're worth. It's it's very difficult to get that out of your head, and you realise that you're just part of a and. You, you know that's life. You know, probably I was a bit naive to it, but you yeah. are part of a, uh, a, a someone else's process, and and their their role is to get you for the least amount of money possible, and also to move you on for the least amount of money possible. And going through that and the challenge of this and understanding the budget of the International Swimming League and everything that wanted to be done with it, I was like, I want to do this, and, and if I'm going to work with Russian athletes. In 2016, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it properly. I'm going to set up a whole program with this internal, you know, the, the doping control and and understand, make sure, explain to all the athletes that if there's, if there's any problems, the whole thing fails, it all crumbles, you know, and we never had, obviously, we never had any incidences and uh, we chose wisely the athletes we were working with. And and it, it all went from there. And I, and I say, yeah, yeah, like I said, you were real, and this big challenge and, you know, th- the 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 big ambition the big the big money to be involved in swimming was too much for me to say no to so that's why I joined in set up the energy standard program 
the goal of that was to give credibility for the International Swimming League to take off. And we couldn't recruit. <laughs> we couldn't. <laughs> it was so blooming hard at the start. Because um, one thing I realised that I needed international athletes. You have to have international athletes in any programme uh, to get some credibility. So I've got Russian-Ukrainian athletes um, that I then had to, I had to really adjust my training a philosophy to work with them because it's it's yeah. different people different again different regions different cultures and they yeah. would never work you know they would never work with a british a british cultural uh, cultural system it just doesn't work so you have to grow and develop with them but i needed international athletes but i wasn't allowed to recruit so because the ultimate goal was the international swimming league and setting something up and the worst thing yeah. you can do is by take it you know if it was easy to go to a swimmer and say oh we can give you money to come here and do this we're set up a professional club then you just piss off everyone's coaches right yeah so it had to take time you had to take your time and it had to be a slow burn and like we if an athlete came approached us we'd all always the same speechy coach come and speak to us and then if and it, so it was so everyone was on board um yeah. in that when we had the full-time program i know things changed a little bit when we were recruiting for just isl but that was different they'd come in and out and go home yeah so we got going with the uh, that's it so 20 end of 2016 we got going and within four years the target was to be the best group in the world and i think we'd achieved that in six or seven months i think honestly uh, our group at the budapest world championships were we had we had, we had the best training group hundred percent in the world. Yeah, no, definitely. It was um it was quite clear to see quite quickly that you'd you'd moved it on fairly significantly in a in a really short amount of time. Um obviously my my sort of insight to it and really how I got to know you around that sort of time was obviously with with Ben Proud coming out and being being a part of that, having moved on from from Plymouth with with John disappearing off to to Ireland to be the big boss out there. Um, so, was there when when you got to those world championships? Were you were you kind of already thinking one hundred percent we've got the best group, or was it after the results you kind of went, hold on a minute, we've definitely struck gold here? I knew we were good. Like I knew we were good. I knew the Russian and the Ukrainian talent that we had was good. And you yeah. see it every day in Gloria. Like we, we had the best training environment in the world. Gloria is the best training facility in the world. It's not even close. Nowhere is yeah. close to Gloria. And and it's more, you know, people say, oh, it's a bit expensive, but then everything is all inclusive. You don't have to pay for your meals on top, like doing yeah. Tenerife maybe or yeah. New Yorker. This this place is is the best, and the athlete we gave the athletes the best. We had an incredible support team around them: Marco, Costa, uh, gym coach, the phys- Enzo, Andre, the physiotherapists, and Daniel that came in later. Our support team was exceptional, and we 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 got to Budapest. It was the project still new, so everyone's hungry and everyone's excited, and I knew I knew, I knew we were in a great spot. Um, and I think what summed it summed it all up in it was it within day two when Ben won uh, the the men's fifty fly he beat Caleb Dressel and everyone forgets yeah. that that world championship Ben beat Caleb Dressel in the fifty fly but no one actually knows that two lanes along that his training partner broke the world junior record Andre Klopsov in the same race training with Ben with me every day so we we had depth as well so we had depth and momentum 
And it was just like, it shouldn't work like this, but it does in teams. When you've got momentum, it just goes and goes and goes. And you can see them all swimming well. At the time, Evgeny was with us, Evgeny Riloff. I know whatever's going on now, that's going yeah. on now. But before... I can't. I couldn't really, you know, couldn't fault the guy before. I don't. I, I, obviously, he's not part of what what we're doing now, or he's, hasn't been part of what we're doing for a significant time. But at the time, he was fantastic athlete. Never caused any issues or problems. Um, Misha Romanchuk, uh, Chad Leclo, uh Sarah just thought it was a bit on off then. She had a fantastic world championships. Ben. It, the medals were everywhere. Georgia uh, Davis had a stormer as well, and. Um, it it kind of like we we over, almost over we we almost overachieved that first year yeah. and uh, and then that makes it everything else was, <laughs> makes it makes it quite hard because success changed. One of my coaching philosophies is survive success because yeah. everything changes after after a big meet like like we had there. Everything changes, so the staff for whatever reason, their level is elevated. So what comes with that is increased expectation on finances. Everyone's level has gone up. So when when you're dealing with a budget, but everyone thinks they've gone up, it's so hard to manage. Athlete-wise, uh, staff-wise, we're, like, well, we're just doing the same job. So but expectations, uh, you know, that's what they are. I, I, I enforce very high expectations on my teams I've worked with. You know, we always high high performance takes place because of high expectations. You mean and and you see it. You see teams that function with low expectation, and yeah, they have a lovely time and they go out, get drunk, do whatever the athletes or the staff. But it's not the way I function. Uh, and I guess my teams are not the most fun in the world. I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't really. My athletes that work with me don't generally have a lot of fun. But you know, we put success first, and then the fun comes after. Um, and I guess Energy Standard was never the most fun team to be part of, but um, it was more. You know, you come and swim with us, you're gonna you're gonna win something. You know, and I, I'm very proud of the fact in the last three seasons of ISL we've delivered two championships for the athletes, and I say it's yeah. for the athletes because you know they're the ones that live it and experience it, and. Uh, and they've been very lucky out of like 300 odd swimmers uh, that compete in ISL last year. Not many experience was like to win a match for us. It, you know, we only lost two in our whole, whole three years. Um, and I, yeah, I got that more where, you, you know, success is an inevitable part of the process and it has to be and yeah. more likely to be, be successful. You compromise on your high expectations and then you, but you, you'll never get there. No, that's that's definitely right. And you, you've moved then, James. So you've got this this full time energy standard group. Um, you're coaching. Yep. You're coaching some of the absolute best athletes in the world, bar none. Um, and then you start being involved in the process of starting the the ISL, the International Swimming League. Um, how how did that come about how obviously you've said um that the the guy who funded you at isl uh sorry at energy standard was was always thinking about it but what was the real the real drive to make it happen when it did right okay so 
I'll give you the, the, the history, energy standard, the history. So yeah. Constantine Grigorishin set up energy standard um, for junior juniors athletes in Russia and Ukraine. And it sounds weird today. We're talking about a joint up program. Yeah. Uh, much has changed in the world. And he set this up. Honestly, it's a, chari- it's a charity project to start with. And, you know, it's more the fact that he was giving young athletes from Russia and Ukraine chances to go abroad, train with international coaches, train in some of the best locations in the world. And, you know, it started off as, as you know, it's such good faith, right? And yeah. for one individual to do this, uh, it's just incredible. And, you know, whatever's happening today – that's for a different time. Today, we're just going to talk about uh, the great things that have happened from that. Um, so he's, he grew up this this junior program, and then he started to, uh, you know, it came from an idea that of his, his son. He used to go and watch his son do competitions. And he said, he said you get there, there at seven in the morning, you, you watch your you sit there for three and a half, four hours in a hot, hot environment <laughs> to do one race that's traumatic and stressful. You make a final. You then sit around for the next five or six hours waiting for the finals to swim another one race that's in the final session. And he, he actually was sat there and he was like, there's got to be a better process than this. There's got to be something that's more engaging because he, he was a big swim fan. And he was like, it's got to be something bigger and more exciting, more stimulating that we don't sit around. We don't sit around for 15 hours for a, to have a, the most stressful day where they swim two races or one race yeah. in a day, the kids. So he was like, it's got to be something more enjoyable. So he come up with this format, which was a junior, it was like a, a two hour swim session, relays, mixed relays, real fast. So no presentations, just. And it's yep. just for kids, like in and out, in and out. So he, he set up Energy Standard Junior to, you know, as a team to race other teams to test it. And it started to grow from like 2013, 2014 in Italy. So there, you know, he set something up with the Italian Federation uh, that it would bring a team. I think even I think even England did it one year. Uh, yeah. I think even England Junior team, England Juniors did it one year. Where the teams would fly, he'd pay for all everyone to go. Uh, they'd spend two days of competition, only two hours the program, in and out, bang, fierce competition, rivalry, teams, team spirit, um, and then all on points. At the end, there's a champion over two days. And to be honest, the philosophy and the idea behind it is genius. You know, yeah. uh, uh, sorry, I've got a call coming in. I'm going to just delete that. I'm just going to, sorry, Matt, I've got my WhatsApp on, which I shall quit oh, on my laptop. So uh no the idea behind it was was genius um but uh you know he had that responsibility to take it on himself so he developed it tested it you know, with the junior formats and yeah. and and then we did a ISL test event in 2017 in Rome it was a charity event where we all re- it was Australian national team the US national team energy standard and the Italian national team and every team had a charity uh that they'd represent um i think it was after the world champs in 2017 so yeah. let's just say the other nations were more enjoying a bit of a vacation 
Whereas I was deadly serious because it was my job, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so my guy is the energy standard team, and we had to recruit extras to come. Like Ruta came along to help us yeah. out, but we got everyone in to a training camp and was deadly serious. While the others were kind of enjoying a little bit of the the, the ten days after Worlds being a bit of a vacation in Europe, we were preparing yeah. seriously, and we won. Like I don't know if we should have won, but we won. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it was a it was a it was a fantastic environment. Skins, knockouts, relays, and the, um, and then we kind of thought, you know, it's a long course pool. The danger it can become a bit sterile from the crowd. So then we tested it short course, kind of in twenty end of twenty nineteen was the was that twenty was it twenty nineteen? Yeah, twenty nineteen was the the first real season, uh, and we made a real good go of it. There and uh, was it 2019? Yeah, I'm getting confused yeah. by years. Yeah, 2019. 2019 and it was the uh, was the real the real the real the real thing started. There was ambitious plans for 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 this year going, but we like I said we we know what's going on with the world. Exactly. Yeah. No. It's um. I mean, it it was just such a radical concept, James. You know, for for from for a swimming coach looking in, it was just even though it was incredibly competitive and incredibly fierce competition, it just looked fun. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It just looked enjoyable. And and it, exactly like you said, you know, you normally go to a, a gala, you're there at 7am, you've left your house at 6am to get there and you're there till 9pm at night because, you know, the scoreboard goes wrong or the time pad falls off when someone does a backstroke start or whatever. And you, <laughs> you, you, you're in this, this 14 hour day of just sitting in a sweat box basically. And, and, and instead you're, you're able to sit and watch on TV two to three hours of just high quality, fast, fun swimming. So it was just a, from, from an outsider looking in, it it just looked like it looked enjoyable as much as it must have been for, for you at the time, also maybe a little bit stressful in terms of getting it set up. Is am, am I right in saying it was an enjoyable thing as well? Yeah, it was. I, you, it's this thing when you get taken away. Like, there's, everyone everyone has opinions on things, and everyone has an opinion on the way it's set up, but and 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 the way we do things or the way it was done. But very few people are actually willing to actually pay for it, you know. So uh, it was incredibly stressful uh to work to work in um trying to balance expectations and also working with swimmers in a new way of it's a new way of coaching you're not coaching there is no coaching that goes on so you're there's a race every the races are going and going and going and going and going and you've got someone can you give me some race feedback can you talk to me about my stroke rates and hang on <laughs> it's, yeah. it's so fast and and the swimmers have to get used to it as well um there was a significant adaptation it was yeah incredible you're making decisions on the fly changing teams around it was stress on everyone Matt not it was the athletes the the staff the physios were working 24 7 the production team was at one point they're they're sat there like you want to change your swimmer's name like and I said I'm allowed to it's in the rules how do we put this on the board or (laughs) so everyone everyone is completely stressed um but that's kind of what it was it was a great turning point for the sport bringing in more money for the sport, seeing that we can do things slightly differently. Um, yeah. We've seen a response in terms of the major competition. Now there's more prize money than ever in the majors. Yeah. And that was down to what the ISL bought in, yeah. I think. But, you know, to le- it was learning a new way of working, 
being incredibly stressed. The recruitment process was stressful as well. It's like everyone had a, the same budget and you're trying to recruit athletes to come and swim with you, but you've got to almost the, – the tough bit with the recruitment was that the, the, the recruitment money was such a small part of the overall – overall their prize money and everything yeah <laughs> and you you're like you're learning a whole new way of working just over like a hundred dollars here or a hundred dollars there and you're like well you could and that but it's it that's how professional sport is right with soccer players yeah. football players rugby players and it was a new what new thing for us to deal with um and it a, a huge learning huge amount of learning managing people from all different nations uh, and then actually trying to bring them all together and compete as a team was, you know, it was hugely challenging. Definitely. Um, and talk to us a little bit, James, about about that. Like, you know, you don't have to go into exact numbers for what you paid each athlete and things like that. But how how did that recruitment process sort of work? Was it, you know, you knew you had Chad, so Chad would get on the phone to some of his mates who he wanted with him, or was it just a, a pool and you had everyone's phone number and let's just ring them up? It was a free for all. Yeah, all, bet, all bets were off, and <laughs> honestly, that's that. What, what, what a good thing to bring to the sport, right? It's, yeah. it's new dynamic. So it was like there was there was no numbers. There was no numbers. There's Instagram. There's what well, you've got a, the best general managers or the best coaches were the ones that were the more aggressive, I guess. And this is how the American system is. Uh, and you hear a lot of British coaches and, uh, you know, like, oh, they've, they've contacted her, the athlete or him directly. And I said that, but that's, that, let's not be naive to it. The Americans are going to do that. That's how they work. Yeah. Uh, the coaches in the NC2A system are paid to win the NC2As. They're not paid for any other reason. There's no other reason. That's their job. And it was the same in ISL. Like we, we all wanted to win. So we, you know, you want to win it. So you've got to be aggressive in your recruitment strategy. And, you know, I think, and it's all momentum. What I learned with, uh, it's all momentum and connections. Like Rob Woodhouse was great in London. He had all of his, 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 most of his swimmers. And then they've got, they're already swimmers in his sort of pool. And then they all spill out because everyone wants to swim with PT and Kate Campbell or Carl Chalmers. Yeah. And, we had a similar thing, and once you get the f- a few on board, it's momentum, and you know, and uh, and then it's easy to pick someone up later down the line. And say, look, I'm sorry, I can't offer you what this team is offering, but if you come for a swim with me, you, you're probably going to win, and you're going to have a much better experience, and uh, you're going to be in the final. You're going to get the bonuses to cover that out, yeah. and you know, it, it's about getting, you've got to get a f- few popular swimmers on, on board not necessarily the best swimmers you've got to get a few of the most popular ones on board and then it spills out easily because you it's word of mouth oh, we got kyle kyle's on our team already and you know and you create you can, you can create a good ambiance definitely it, it, it reminded me a lot of um like i follow a lot of american sport it reminded me a bit like like draft day in the nfl just just everyone just on the phone, on phones, on text messages, come here, do this. Like uh, that's what it sort of sounded to me like when when Ben sort of explained a brief amount of the process to me when we caught yeah. up. And the third year, you know, last year of ISL, we got it right. Yeah. So the 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 idea is in in any sport, right? You, you're going to get good teams. You're going to get good teams like yeah. Manchester United. Well, not so more anymore. Man City. <laughs> 
Barcelona, Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, you're going to get good teams in any league. And to get exact parity, it's, it's almost impossible. It's just, that's just life. So uh, one of the things was, you know, to make it a bit more fair, the draft that was brought in for last year was you can nominate 15 athletes to keep. And then you, then you go into the draft where the, the bottom teams pick first. And, you know, it, it actually was a, a genius solution because you've got to keep a nucleus. You have to have, you can't just have the whole team go and a new team come in. Yeah. You know, then, then, then it's clear they're all fake teams. So you keep a nucleus of 15, which is incredibly hard to do. If you've got a great team and, you know, you need 32 and you're only allowed yeah. to keep 15, you're making some, you're upsetting someone, yeah. you know, you're upsetting people on the way, good people. But, and again, it's, that's the changing nature of our sport. It was incredibly hard for us as coaches to sit there and go, Are these 15 scored the most points, yeah. you know, that's, you know, but, but we're missing out on these people, these people, these people, they're fantastic guys and fantastic girls. We're like the bottom line is uh, we've only allowed 15 yeah. And, you know, but, and so that we went through that process. But then what you found is this last year of ISL was a lot more even. And then the idea was that it would take four to five years of this process. And eventually you were going to get pretty much parity yeah. across. Because then if it would have carried on this year, Tokyo would have gone first in the draft picks. And they've already got Dea Seto and Honda and all these people. And then they would have added the first, the first <laughs> picks. And then suddenly Tokyo were incredibly strong and it, it yeah. was a great system it's just a shame it hasn't happened um and we we really would have had some a bit more parity yeah sorry my screen's gone dark for some reason that i've picked it up no nah, it was um and and last year for you there was a little bit of a, a a change of role right so you went from head coach during the isl to them being the the general manager and 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 tom took over as as head coach how how was that yeah. how was that transition for you? Well, I've always had a kind of a, a everyone mucks in, right? Everyone yeah. mucks in, everyone gets their hands dirty. And there was no change no change from that point of view. Yeah, Tom took over uh, a lot more of some of the leadership decisions on selection, but you know, it's we we're always involved. And um when you're in that ISL environment You've got limited number of staff, so yeah, I was involved. Yeah, you involved at the management start side of things, logistics, day to day operations, which is something that I have touched in a long way through the pro along along the way as well. But yeah, no, Tom Tom stood up a lot more this year um, and done a fantastic job. Look at Siobhan now, especially now that she's doing great. But you know, he, he had to learn himself. He's, he, sometimes you have to make tough decisions. You've got to pull people out of relays uh at the last minute and you upset people you know yeah. but and you, it's a different way of communication and you've got to be authentic is you know i think everyone understand everyone wants to compete every swimmer wants to compete they want to race they want to be winning uh i had a, i had one as well i had to make some calls in the final some radical ones that obviously we spoke with tom but it's like we're going, we're going full radical in the final. I said we're we're just going to go full radical, Tom. And uh, he was he was like, yeah, that's what we've got to do. And we dropped Chad from the fifty fly skins, yeah. bought in Adam Barrett. We put Mary Sophie in the four hundred medley and told her a sprint from the start to get the 
the bonus points at halfway and uh and that's there that's the number of points we won the ISL by just yeah. by these you know I felt it as well but and sometimes that's why you know having two having a care coach like Tom that we worked so closely for I guess five years that we could always share in responsibility and bounce ideas off each other no definitely it was it was a it was a definite right call um like you said, winning the by that number of points, um. So, so obviously, look, James. We know what's happening in the world at the moment is is not brilliant, and it's it, it's obviously put a stop to the ISL, at least for now. Um. So, in terms of of you as James Gibson, the swim coach, swim CEO, swim general manager, what's what's kind of happening for you at the moment? What's happening now, and what's happening in the next? maybe a couple of years that you're allowed to tell us working with Ben Proud. (laughs) (laughs) No, I did. I knew, I knew instantly, you know, when things were happening that, you know, I need to, I need to keep a foot in, into something. And, uh, and I think the best way to do that is to work with athletes and the athletes that, you know, Ben was back in the British system um, following the pandemic. We were still kept in co- a lot of contact. I was working with Ben. I coached him properly, let's say, from September last year in the ISL. Uh, well, I had him for about 10, 10 weeks or so through that process. Um, and then he went back into the British system properly. Uh, and then in April, he was a little bit lost um 21-9 at the trials was not a, you know and that was not a great performance and I think he, it was more to do with everything going on in his life uh coming yeah. to terms with Tokyo um and uh, you know we we kind of reconnected around that period um and it was quite quite streamlined he, he asked me for some advice more as a a mentor let's call it you know Ben Ben's at a point in his career where he, he needs a mentor as opposed to you see a lot of them now as they get older they they, they need more mentoring in the right direction um and having you know an eye they can trust around them as opposed to someone that, that's there all the time which you know I can't commit to uh so he's he, he came to me asked my advice I told him directly what he should what I think he should do and he got himself back to Turkey he got himself feeling at home again um i went out to visit him pretty much straight away just to check up on him uh got he got connected with reconnected with marco Costa, the strength coach who he has incredible confidence with so with ben it's more getting his body in the right place you know strength ben is a an athlete that doesn't he he swims fast when he's stressed in his muscles not from when being floppy so again 95 percent of athletes need to be floppy flora manadu you know, these type of guys need to have relaxed muscles. Ben needs extreme tension. And I have good experience with that because Fred Busquet was the same. So yeah. it's not the one rule that fits all. So as long as he's he's got a fantastic, you know, dry land program and someone that can pop in and out with the swim program just to, you know, write the you know, write write the weekly format or whatever, just to get him in point in the right direction, it, it works. So we got him. It was a bit. It was tough. It was tough at the time, and I think you'll be the first to admit it. You know, he was. He, he when when he started working with me and Marco again, he wasn't in the best uh, best spot. Um, but we chipped away at it. It was. Uh, we had a little bit of time to prepare him for uh, the World Championships. Ironically, I'll be honest with you, man. <laughs> we 
when I was in with Ben and Gloria in April, May, May time, when it was like just yeah. setting him up, it was April, I think. Uh, it was more, I was there for two and a half weeks, three weeks. And uh, I was, we, me and Marco were talking, well, we got some, we can do it, but we just, just we, we need everything to just go be consistent. And uh, when I said to Ben, we had this conversation, like, Ben, we all know where you're at. Let Let me, let's plan to have the peak of the season at the Commonwealth Games. We won't do Europeans. Let's just get it. Then you can have a break. Uh, let's peak for Commonwealths and that'll be it. <laughs> yeah. Little did we realise that he'd, <laughs> he'd win in uh, in Budapest. So the, I planned to be with him. So I was with him for a period. Then he had a, and then I said, come back. But then I put majority of my time in between Worlds and, and Commonwealths. And he won Worlds, didn't he? So <laughs> yeah. But afterwards, I was like, I hope you don't get worse. And now I'm here. <laughs> uh, so he, he won the Worlds uh, in Budapest. Um, you, you know, he's, he's he swum 21-3. It's not the fastest swim of his life, but it's not a bad swim at all. No. Uh, and in and after that, you get the emotional sort of payout that comes with it. Um, it's like, now you need to sort of deal with what you've done. And it was kind of one of those confusing things for Ben. It was like, well, I thought I was this at rock bottom, but I'm not. And, it, and that's emotionally draining as well. And yeah. we just kind of got him fixed on his daily routines, sticking your routine, get through the Commonwealth. Um, he did Commonwealth Games. Yeah. Um, I think he was just good, you know, there. He was on great form. But then even by the last day, I watched his final and it, it, I could tell he was exhausted. Yeah. You know, emotionally exhausted. He's dealing with, you know, he's dealing with my Mac's going to run out of battery in a minute. So I've got 10%, but I've got a plug next to me. Okay. <laughs> so I might have to pause you, Matt, and get Yeah, get that's fine. <laughs> uh, so, but I could just, I, I saw in his face, you know, you can always tell in people's eyes and their face that they're just tired, you know, that you've been in a village and, you know, you've won. And then, yeah. And then we had this thing where we had to, you know, he had to make a choice on Europeans and yeah, he just felt obliged to go because everyone, you know, you can win everything this year. And and he was hanging on for dear life. Um, and I was out with him in between Commonwealth and Europeans. We I coached him in between that period and he, he was. It, and, and all your plans and all your thinking is just like, whatever, let's just manage day to day. Yeah. How you feel today? You know, sleep in, sleep in. And you can do that with one athlete. You can do it. You can't do it with a team. It's impossible. No. And then we got him through the Europeans and it was more, and I see his face, isn't that? And when he won, it was more relief than than that pure... Than ecstasy. Ecstasy, yeah. And it was a little bit more relief. But the fact that we'd gone through that whole process and I'd helped him, he, he needed some direction in those last bits. But, and yeah, my role with him more is, is more of a mentor now. Uh, yeah. And I, and I always I go back to it's a conversation with John Rudd about this, all those three types of three types of sort of co- you've got the teacher you're the teacher three types of coaching sorry three types of coaching you're the teacher where you te- you're giving knowledge you're just giving knowledge and they can decide what they want to do with it you're teaching 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 and then once they know it all really and you've got limited uh, you can't really t- educate them much more you manage them you're managing their life their sponsors you're managing a program around them to fit them in you're just managing them you're managing success you're managing failure imagine just the human being as more yeah. than the athlete and then after that you become more just as a mentor uh you know 
someone like Ben or I guess even Sarah, they don't need someone there 24-7 and they don't even want that yeah. anymore. They're, they're, they're happy just to, you know, if, if you want to go in at 10.38, I'll go in at 10.38. <laughs> <If> I, <laughs> uh, I'll do that thing. But there's athletes, they get to a point, they, they can do that with their career. And they, but then they take on that ownership and responsibility themselves, and so it's it's accountability at the same time. So Ben, he knows there's a lot of accountability on him. He, you know, we we talked about the plan the other day. Is oh, I want to go to Malaysia for this period, Hawaii for this period. We go, just go, yeah. <laughs> go, just go and enjoy yourself and figure it out and learn. Because the more autonomous you can be, the more inevitable success is going to be at the end as well. Yeah, no, definitely. So what? That that that's what's going on with, with with obviously you and Ben. But what what do you envisage? What what what's kind of your plan for James? You know, if if Ben's coming maybe towards the twilight of his career and and things like that, what's what's the next the next step for for you, James? Okay, so so why why I've been able to reconnect more with Ben is because of what's happening in my personal circumstance as well. Obviously that would probably wouldn't have happened if we carry on and I'm more general managing yeah. a team that, that's, that's not possible. But um, for me personally, it was, uh, you know, I've moved on from, uh, you know, the ISL organization. Now I am looking at other opportunities. There are some exciting things out there, uh, but I also want to take my time with it. Um, I've lived away from home for such a long period uh, I want to re- uh, you know, I have good connections. I have a boy who's 11 and I like to hang out with my son and, yeah. you know, we have fun and I like to be around my boy. So uh, I'm looking at opportunities that also will fit my lifestyle as well. Um, I, look, obviously, you know, it's a, it's a challenging period. Uh, like it, we keep repeating the same word. I've got to stop saying it. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, 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 I'm very happy with sort of taking a, a small sabbatical from, let's call it full time work. Uh, yeah. Fortunately, I'm able to do that, um, but it's also allowing me to invest my time in a little bit with Ben. Um, there's other projects I've got going on as well that uh, will be a bit more widely known. Uh, later on and i'm i'm just i'm i'm enjoying my little bit of time of reflection let's put it that way Brilliant. but now i need to get a, i need to get a charger no worries charger. <laughs> otherwise you're gonna lose me just... there you go we're, we're back the the cable's in we're just not allowed to move the screen i, I believe so um james it's these, uh, dodgy, it's these dodgy apple connectors they can't you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, you pay all the money for them, but they never last. That's, I think, that's the point. So you keep going back and spending more. Um, uh, exactly. And um, so, James, I, I didn't set you up for this, so I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot um, with this next sort of question, and it's something I've asked every guest. Um, are there for you three songs? or albums or something musical, right? So music's a massive, massive part of everything I do. Um, so are there three sort of songs or albums that sort of stand out for you at periods in your life that were significant? 
things that have got you through rough times, good times, all that sort of stuff. Is there anything that sort of springs to mind? Well, first one's Freddie Mercury in Barcelona. <laughs> yeah, I can't I can't pronounce the the lady that did it with him, but the the opera song Barcelona. Yeah, uh, uh, because that's where I won my first world title. Yeah. Um, and that song yeah, resonates hugely with me uh, because of that reason. I'd say one of our, one of the things music is was a huge part of my coaching process in Glory because I, I always used to put on UK Top 40, just pop music. Yeah. Um, and it used to blare out on the poolside every day, every day. We even had it yesterday. But in terms of what I would always, my go-to in Energy Standard was always ACDC. Uh but live, ACDC live in Buenos Aires, that album, uh, Highway okay. to Hell, and these songs come out, and you just see everyone just grow, you know. Yeah. This sort of music would come on, um, would, would always grow, you know. It's an interesting about, you know, you ask Chandler Chloe this question, he'll give you some good boy bands. <laughs> <laughs> he'll give you some good boy bands to answer. Um, so, yeah, that one, I've all... Uh, so yeah, ACDC's uh, album, I'd say uh, Barcelona, uh, and I, I'm just trying to think of. I always used to listen to that dance music before I used to race, but there was uh, nothing ever specific. I was more into the trance area okay. when I used to race, old school trance. Yeah, but to say touch and touch a nerve, I'm trying to think. I've got my two. You want a third one, don't you? Matt, only if only if it's that only because I've put you on the spot, I can let you off with two this time. No, one of my one of my absolute songs that brings back memories of my childhood and now my adulthood is the Top Gun anthem uh, by Harold Flatmire. I think it is the one. The I can't even say, I can't even find it on my phone now. So, <laughs> like, what, yeah. Now this one uh, because it reminded me of. My 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 growing up, uh, yeah. and then to go and watch the new Top Gun. This isn't personal; it's not sport. You know, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. To, go, to go and watch that with my boy was uh, again he, watching him have the same emotions as me was a good one. So this one, just the anthem that yeah. resonates. Bit of Tom Cruise for you. And let me find I find my ACDC. It's in here somewhere on Mr. Spotify. It's got to be live at live at River Plate, that was the one. Yeah. Got it. Got a bit of headbanging there. Yeah. Highway to hell. 100%. No, brilliant, brilliant choices. Um, but yeah, and and then we'll talk. We've spoke about so much, James, that, that that I think we've encapsulated sort of everything you've you sort of done, but you mentioned it there. Obviously, your big passion and your big sort of time now is is obviously spending time with your, with, with your son. Um, and I bet that's been sort of amazing for you to be able to get back to the UK and and do that right yeah no it's, it's seen him a lot more and watching him develop plays rugby La- last week we had a yeah. 
rugby match within 10 minutes. One of his teammates broke his arm, the other one had a concussion, so two of them in a and in their 11. So it's a bit, it's, <laughs> a, it's a different, different to the swimming world. Yeah. Um, no, George came out to Gloria three or four times. Um, got to race with him. One of my Instagram videos, racing Ben. Instantly, interestingly, Ben beat him. <laughs> and then we had to redo it. <laughs> to explain Ben the concept of racing children, you have to let them win. <laughs> so uh, I was, uh, you know, so he's been out. He, you know, he knows all the swimmers. He's part of the process. In fact, good. In fact, I've got a picture of him here of a lip of his. A swimming medal and his energy standard t-shirt on. Brilliant. It's all blurry. No, that's brilliant. So yeah, he's, I share I share all part of the journey with him, and uh, he knows all the athletes and and who they are and what they do. But he's more right. into Fortnite now. More into Fortnite. Right. So James, we're coming close to wrapping this up. There's just there's a there's a couple of things that I I like to do at the end of every podcast. Um, one is I'm going to chuck at you now three would you rather questions, um, and 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 we'll see see what your your answers are to those. And then and then the last thing I like to do is give every guest that's on the opportunity to ask me two or three questions that might spring to mind. So while I'm throwing these would you rather's at you, you've got some time to think what you might like to ask me. Um, so start start easy. Um, obviously as we're getting into the the sort of wintry colder months as we're back in the uk now um would you rather spend your time in constant winter or constant summer summer too easy living in um, Turkey. <laughs> yeah exactly um okay and then the second one is um would you rather constantly eat sweet or constantly eat savory savory crisps give me crisps brilliant uh, any particular crisp? Any particular brand you want to shout out? I was always a loyal Walker's salt and vinegar, but now I'm shifting to McCoy's. Ooh. Salt and vinegar. Okay. Still salt and vinegar there. Um, and then uh, the last one, would would you rather have £10 million put into your bank account immediately, as we're speaking, or would you rather jump back to being 10 years old but have your brain from now? So you know everything from now. Ten million. I'm happy where I'm at now. Young James figured it out himself. Brilliant. That's great. All right. So I I, I hand the podcast over to you, James. So um, two, three, four, however many questions you can maybe think of, you might like to ask me. Okay. What have you learned from doing the podcast? Um. So the biggest thing, I was I was speaking about this the other day actually the biggest thing I've learned is that all of these people that are high performance people in their own right so everyone I've had on as as has been at a fairly high level you, you, yourself Ben obviously world champions John coaching Olympic Olympic champions gold medalists all all of these things they're all just normal people <laughs> right so I. You know, I don't know if you were the same, but I spent all of my time when I was growing up looking at people like Michael Jordan, like David Beckham, like all these people I sort of looked up to. Jonathan Edwards was like a big inspiration for me as I was growing up. And you look at them as like superhuman, like unbelievable, untouchable, unknowable people. 
they're just they're just a normal person that just happens to be exceptionally good at what they've chosen to be good at. Um, so yeah, I'd say that's the the biggest thing I've taken away from it is they are just humans still, and they do you know like the same things we do. They they like a a, a beer on an evening and, and whatever else. So, what's your favourite beer? Ah, okay, so. Just one. You can only drink one for the rest of your life. What is it? Only one for the rest of my life. I would probably go for Brewdog's Hazy Jane, but the one with guava. Oh, controversial. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it it, it just, you know, it's got a little bit of the fruit cider flavour to it, but it it hits home like a a lager as well. So that's the one I'm, I'm drinking a lot of at the moment. Okay. Who's been your worst guest? That's a joke. That's a joke, that one. That's a joke, that uh, one. No, that's what's, the, what's the best country you have travelled to to work in swimming? So you were in Dubai, obviously. Uh, where have you been where you feel the most at home with swimming? Uh, the most at home with swimming is is probably the states um so i haven't ever coached out in the states but uh i've i've done uh a few visits i was i was lucky enough to to go and watch the secs um uh, a couple of times and and brett actually took me in while he was still head coach of auburn let me see all the team room and and all that side of things um so I would say that's where I felt most at home. It was just a little bit over the top. Everyone was having fun, but there was also a really, really hard sort of work process going on. Mm. But the place I was happiest is probably the place where swimming is the least known. It uh, was Kenya. Like if if someone rang me from Kenya, like in the middle of this interview, I'd have been on a plane. I'd have cut this interview short. I um, thought you'd say that as well. Most yeah, appreciated, it, most valued. Yeah, sure. I, ju- I, ju- I just think it, it was one of those, James, where th- there's so much poverty and stuff out there. There's so much negativity out there. But everyone was just so happy, so willing to sort of do whatever it was they needed to do to help everyone get better. And, and you know, I was lucky that I worked with some of the best athletes that Kenya had to offer. Which, which was fantastic, um, but yeah, that was that was probably where I was happiest. I would say another British export. Exactly. There's a lot of there's a lot of British coaches everywhere, isn't there? And and in and in serious positions, performance yeah. directors, head coaches, all over the world. And do you think that we? Because we always look, we we always say, oh, you know, we're going to say this system is this and this and this. But do you think we do anything different to get us in those positions? Or do you seriously think we are, do you think that we have a better education system than those countries? Or are we just better at selling ourselves? I, oh. I, might, I might upset some people with this answer. Um, I th- I think our education system is one of the better ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's improving all the time. Um, you know, obviously, it's, we, we've got some really, really good people, um, both at Swim England and British Swimming, that are, that are taking that that sort of coach education forward now. 
Um, but I also think the reason there's a lot of coaches abroad is because they don't want to stay in Britain and coach, um, <laughs> which, you know, is, is sad to say, um, but I think there's such a, such a, a culture now within Britain that if, if everyone's not doing personal best immediately, you know, there could be one or two, you, you might upset one or two people on a swimming club board, or you might upset, upset one person on the poolside and and the vilification of a coach now is so high in Britain that actually people escape to go and have a bit of freedom and be able to do things the way they want to do things because other countries allow them to do that. Okay. There we go. So there you go. That's I might have upset a few people in Britain by saying that, but there we are. Uh, we have a very strong exports. We have very, yeah. as a nation, because we have a very, we have exceptional, so sort of say, national team staff. Uh, and there's, you can reel off a lot of names that are performance directors. And, uh, and it, it's now almost that the British Swimming Society, coaching society, is very international now as well. Yeah. You see them everywhere. <laughs> see us everywhere. 100%. So. Hundred uh, percent, and I also think you know, James. The other thing that that comes down to as well is British women is is doing an exceptional job at the moment at, mm-hmm. at an Olympic and a world and a and a you know Commonwealth European level. We are incredibly, incredibly good at the moment. So more people are interested in British coaches because they're coming from a system that's producing the goods. So I also know that these things work in cycles. The French, the French swimming system taught us that very, very yeah. well. You go from London 2012 was unbelievable, was everything that everyone's doing in France is amazing. And then it's just you, it's a combination of management and you have to have the generation of talent. You have to. 100%. It's without, without uh, like I'm a disbeliever in this hard work beats talent. You know, I think you've got to be, exceptionally talented to to be successful you do need hard work of course but um you need to you need a generation and we're in a in britain it's a golden generation now it's a duncan adam tom uh you know uh benny you can you can reel off the names and uh, the relays boys, you know, it's it's like when you, especially the four by two, you swim one forty five, and you're just about scraping on the team. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, they, you know, you know, your country's in good shape. Definitely, that's brilliant. Well, uh, James, it's been it's been brilliant to to have a a bit more of a a chat with you and uh, and get to know you a little bit better. Um, so I, I thank you for taking time from your busy schedule um to to come and talk to us and um yeah next time maybe we'll do it over a beer and and without a camera well ben proud beer i'm drinking one right now we can do a ben <laughs> proud beer I even, I even put on my christmas tie for you today it's, it's commitment to the time of the year I tell you, it's you, you look far more dapper than i do but i had to i had to be loyal to the to the sponsors I just got back from Turkey, so I got a bit of a tan. It makes me look good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Brilliant. No, James, uh, thank you so much, mate. Really do appreciate it. And, um, and yeah, like I said, next time we'll, 
we'll have a beer in person rather than rather than over Zoom. Pleasure, mate. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Cheers, James. Cheers, Matt. Thanks for listening to Behind the Stats with Matt Cross, sponsored by Buzz Physique. Go to buzzfizzy.co.uk and use the code MATT10 to apply 10% off your orders. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, keep up with the show on Twitter at Behind underscore Matt and on Instagram at Behind the Stats with Matt. Until next time.